Hello. All right. Good morning, everyone. Go ahead and take your seats. If you are in the bookstore or on the deck, please come inside. We got some seats up front here. All right. Good job. It's good listening. Some good listening skills. Oh, yep. A couple more. No worries. My name is Amy. Uh, if we haven't met, I'm part of the staff here at Sierra Bible. Uh, I want to welcome you. I want to make sure if you are new this morning or if you are visiting that you get information about our church. And that information is in that pocket in front of you. You can grab that information card before you leave today. We also have a gift for you. And so you can also grab that on the way out at the info booth. I also set out, in case you didn't know, we were giving out hats um, for the last couple of months. Um, some SBC hats, really nice hats. We still have some. And so some of you may have already picked one up. But if you did miss that and you didn't pick one up or you know someone that might really want one, uh, those are out in the uh, foyer as well. And you can grab one of those. Also in that pocket in front of you is a offering envelope. You can always give uh, to our mission online or through our app. But if you're old school and you use cash or checks, that's right. That would make you old school. <laughs> You can drop that in our offering boxes also by the door on your way out. All right? So those are some things that uh, I wanted to get, get all of you to know, again, if you're visiting or if you're new. Um, but I want to also let you know about a couple things happening in the next couple weeks. Uh, one of them is our new believers class, and that's starting next Sunday. That class is going to be held during second service. And so if you want to attend that new believers class, which is taught by uh, Brad Beers next door, then you want to be here for first service and then get to that class second service. Now because of that, that because that class is going on for the next three weeks, um, our junior high, which normally meets, uh, will not be meeting for the next three weeks. And so they'll, those junior hires, which if you're in junior high today, you're free to go. Um, you can head out when we do have junior high service today. Um, but for the next three weeks, just an FYI, you'll be sitting here with your families. Everyone's going to enjoy it a lot. Um, and just keep that in mind when you're bringing your junior hire uh, over the next three weeks. All right, so that's our new believers class. Another class coming up um, is our Holy Spirit class. It's the class on the Holy Spirit. And that is every Thursday in February. There are five Thursdays in February because it's a leap year. I have no idea why. And so starting February 1st on a Thursday, 6 o'clock in Ray Hall, uh, Pastor Wayne will be leading that class on the Holy Spirit. We would love for you to register. You can register online through our app. And in that registration, you can communicate to us if you need childcare. And so this is important. Uh, we don't know if childcare is needed right now, but if you communicate to us that it is needed and you would love to attend, then we will um, do our best to provide childcare for that Thursday night class. So again, that's starting in a couple of weeks. Uh, one more thing I want to highlight is a Bible study starting up this week in a couple of days. It's a women's Bible study. Uh, they're going to go through the Old Testament. It's Tuesday mornings at 9.30 a.m. here at SBC. That's going to be led by Karen and our lovely Tammy. If you don't know those ladies, you should get to know them. And uh, that's coming up this week. And I wanted to highlight that because it's starting in a couple days. But just so you know, it's January and everything just started back up. So we took a little break in December. Had a little snow, and but Awana's back up, youth group, all the community groups, uh, men's breakfast, all of those things. So just keep it in mind uh, as you're, you know, planning your life to include some of these activities. And no one's writing it down, which is fine. 
I will just, old school, we don't write it down. We don't put it in our phone. We just remember. All right, good job. All right, here's Pastor Jesse. Did you hear me? Okay. Good morning. Amy's great. We are uh, Sierra Bible Church of Sarcasm. Um, hey, we're going to be in First Peter. So if you have your Bible or whatever device you use, go ahead and turn there. If you want to use one of our Bibles, raise your hand. Uh, we have some ushers in the back. They'd love for you to uh, take this Bible. Just keep your hand up. You can borrow it if you just need to borrow it for now, or you can take it home if you need to. Um, <clears throat> we're in a series called Our House. Really, really all we're talking about in the, these few weeks that we're doing this topical uh, sermon series is um, really what it means to be the people of God, uh, to be the church of God, to be who God calls us to be. And then um, we're, we're already as a staff. I know we just had Christmas, but this is just part of what it is to be part of a church uh, on the heels of the birth of Christ. We celebrate Jesus, and, and, and that is God in his incarnation becoming in the flesh, right, to walk amongst us, to tabernacle amongst us. We just celebrated that, which was wonderful. And uh, I think all of you probably know, I said it last week, close to about 1,000 people all together, over 20 decisions for Christ. So just a wonderful Christmas season. But we're already praying and prepping for Easter. Uh, and so uh, Easter's coming up. And then after Easter, we're going to, uh, uh, the plan right now, unless the Spirit tells us otherwise, is to dive into 1 Corinthians. And so that's going to be a big series for us. Uh, we'll provide some materials ahead of time for that if you want to follow into that series. If you like to, some of you like to uh, mark that off, like to study it in advance. And um, so we'll give that to you now so you know we'll be in 1 Corinthians. Um, but we are talking about what it is to be the people of God. And uh, <clears throat> I'll say one other thing. You know, the Lord has really, I think, given us a strategic heart for whatever that's worth. You can be strategic all you want, but God does what God does. Right? The best. God loves it when you say, I've got a plan. Because then he's like, no, you don't. And then he does something else, right? And so we've planned in this season, the New Believers class, the Holy Spirit class. All this is somewhat strategic because of the, the life cycle of where we're at in our particular church and what's happening in our body. Uh, and then for the last six months or so, I've, I've really had it in my heart to, uh, to pour more into the men at our church. And through a series of opportunities, I now am leading the men's ministry uh, along with Brad Knoll and Zach. We've got a board. We've got all kinds of stuff for you guys lined up this year that we're working on. So if you're a guy, we've really been uh, convicted that the women are more spiritual than us. So we're going to beat them. We're going to defeat them. That's what, <clears throat> that's what men do. Good luck. All right, battle of the sexes. I have the microphone. Let's just be clear on that. But joking and not joking aside, the women have have done an amazing job. And I think our men here love serving the Lord, and, but, but overall our leadership has felt like, hey, we, need, we can do more. Uh, and so I started teaching our men's breakfast yesterday, uh, which to be honest with you was just a complete blast. Well over 25 men and you know, the, the food there is incredible. So if you're a guy and you wanna get connected with other dudes and you wanna grow in the grace and knowledge of God, I wanna personally invite you. I'd love to have you there. Give me more opportunity to pour into some of the younger guys in the church. And, uh, and, and, and if, if, if I'm not enough of a sell for you to come, uh, I'll, let me tell you about Joe Kraft's bacon on Saturdays, okay? I don't know how many of you have ever had bacon that has been uh, beautifully cooked uh, it, 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 with crack cocaine. But that's what Joe puts on it. 
you don't snort the, the bacon, you eat the bacon, but the bacon's incredible. And he doesn't really cook it with crack cocaine. I don't want anyone to walk out of here thinking Sierra Bible serves uh, crack bacon. But the bacon's bomb. That's, I mean, he like literally put some kind of magic on it. And um, <laughs> you should come, guys. <laughs> uh, so it's been good. So God is just at work in our church. I'm thankful for it. So in the season uh, last week in Peter, so chapter one, go ahead, turn there. Chapter one, we'll stand in just a moment if you're able to and, and you desire to do so. But uh, in chapter one, we talked about that really one of the things that Peter, who wrote this book, Peter was a guy, right? He, he, he's a guy we all relate to because he was really radical, made a lot of mistakes. Uh, he kind of has a similar heart as most of us, right? He, he loves Jesus, loves him a little bit more verbally and passionately than, than his own actions and integrity will even allow him to. And so Peter made a lot of mistakes. And, and Peter, after being restored, after denying Christ, ends up becoming a great evangelist, shares the, the beauty of the gospel in the beginning of Acts. Several thousand people come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ through this man's imperfect preaching. And he writes First and Second Peter, and we're in First Peter, and he tells us in chapter 1, which we read last week, that part of what it means to be a part of the house of God, what it means to be part of God's church, is that we care about holiness, and that God cares about holy living. And part of the text told us, the Bible told us, that part of that holy living means that we're going to prepare our minds for action. There's a mental kind of fortitude that Christians have. And we, we talked a bit, a bit last week about how God encourages us, though we're people of faith, to not just realize that we're, we're, not, we're not people of faith who, who disconnect from our head and don't actually think things through. Uh, one of the th- reasons I'm a firm believer in the Word of God is the thing that we call textual criticism, which is just a fancy way of saying we're constantly going back to the Word of God to make sure it's that, the Word of God. And we just have some of the most earliest manuscripts on the word. We can trust what's being said. And so Peter tells us, hey, listen, if you're going to be the people of God, you got to engage your mind. You got to prepare your, your minds for action. So he tells us we have to be doing something. But then he also says, we'll read it again so you can see it. But he also says, hey, part of the role of the people of God in the house of God is to live holy for God is holy. But we talked about last week that though God has this standard of holiness that all of us should live in, all every single one of us should desire to live a holy life the way that God has called us to live, right? And to live a holy life is to live a life that is separate from the world, different than the rest of the world. We're to think differently. We're to act differently. We are to even spend our money and our time differently, right? So, so that's kind of what holiness is, is to be set apart, sanctified, to be perfect as he is perfect. And we talked about last week that though that there's this standard that Jesus has called us to meet in holiness, we recognize that the only way anyone could ever really truly be holy is not because of their actions and their deeds, but because of the grace of Jesus Christ. So what we talked about last week, the emphasis of holiness is, is that no one in this room can ever accomplish holiness outside of the person of Jesus Christ. And even if you are a person who is in Jesus Christ, if you've been a Christian for longer than a day, you know that your holiness has its limits. Yeah? So most of us don't live a day, most of us, all of us, Every single one of us, none of us, have ever been able to live a day in perfection, right? You like how I did that? How I worded all that together? Uh, Language is difficult. So so here he is in this particular place telling us what it is to be holy. And we talked about the root of that holiness, why we should be holy. And this morning I want to talk about, uh, from the text, the highest call of being holy. What what is it, if we're going to be holy and set apart, what's that highest call? 
Uh, and so I want to share a quick story. It's not going to make any sense to you up front. All it's going to do as I tell this story before we get into the text is make me look foolish, okay? So I'm, I'm a byproduct of the 90s, and in the 90s, uh, there, there was a time, a season there where I began to fall in love with really two different hobbies. Most of you are really firmly aware of one hobby, football. I love football. The other hobby, which is kind of a closet hobby, is I'm a really big Marvel comic book nerd, okay? I, I like that stuff. Don't judge me. You go pray about that. And I know most of you are like, Marvel Comics doesn't mean anything. And I, I loved my, all throughout my childhood, collecting things. I think I got it from my grandparents. And, and one of the things I really loved collecting, uh, even still today to some degree, are figurines. Little idols I can worship. That's what they are. <clears throat> you, you know, like sports figurines and, and comic book figurines, those kind of things. And when I met my wife, she will tell you, I used to have cases in my house that I would store these figurines in like they were like they were really special and unique right and so you know when you get married when your wife comes and she says to me this is what she did on our wedding our wedding day we exchanged gifts on our wedding day and the gift she gave me was a um it was a a case about this tall so something around four foot eleven and and this four foot eleven case this four foot eleven case about this wide and this thin uh, she gives to me as a gift, and she says, she says, this is where you can keep your figurines. <laughs> now, not all my figurines fit in there, but this is a woman's way of saying, this is what you get. <laughs> okay, so now you fast forward. I've got four kids today. Do you know where that little storage case is today? It's in my garage, and it stores all of my paint cans. Uh, and any figurines I still own have been given away or are in my shelf in the Holy of Holies in my office back here. So you can go check them out. Now, now I share that because before we had Peyton, he's our oldest, <clears throat> I saw a great deal where I could purchase a, a particular kind of figurine. I won't bore you with the details of it. You can ask me later if you care. There's a good chance you won't. But I purchased this figurine for $30, and I knew that the figurine online, it seemed like too good of a deal for 30 bucks. It took about two or three months to come. It finally came, and it was the worst figurine I've ever purchased in my entire life. I looked up the figurine later to find out I basically got duped online, spent 30 bucks for a piece of trash, and that the real figurine, if I really bought it, would have been an $800 figurine, which I would have never spent. I got duped with something that was fake, something that wasn't real, something that wasn't genuine. And as we get into the text this morning, we're going to see there's an importance to the genuineness of our faith and the genuineness of how we respond. It's not to be fake. So hold on to that for a moment and hold on to this also. I've titled the message this morning, uh, Ransom to be Holy and to Love. Love is going to be in the text this morning. But I, I came up with a better title last night in my sleep, which is somehow how it works, right? And I woke up and thought a better title would be Without Wax without wax. I'll explain that in a moment too. So I've got a couple little cliffhangers for you, uh, hopefully to, to get your palate ready to dive in. So with all that as a quick little intro, would you stand with me please as we honor God's word uh, in what happened to my water? Okay. Verse 13, chapter 1 of Peter. Therefore, <clears throat> preparing your minds for action, here it is, right? Gird, the, the language here is gird up the loins of your mind for action and be sober-minded, right? How do we do this? How are we going to be holy? How are we going to prepare our minds? He tells us, set your hope fully 
on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. We talked about last week how impossible that really is. And that's why we need Jesus. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. We talked about exile last week as well. That holiness is to be separate, to be different. We don't belong in this world. Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from your feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living abiding word of God. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And the church said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Peter, in his imperfection, shares with us that we should live truthfully. And part of that truth is living this reality that though we're not holy, I mean, though, though we, you know, we are holy, that we really aren't holy, but we should live as if we're holy. It, it's a tension within Christianity that's difficult, right? It's that same tension that exists that, that I have sin within me. Paul talks about it in Romans 7. I've sinned within me, but, but I'm still righteous, right? It's what some pastors would call the ballast of, a, of the ship, of the boat that keeps it afloat. Right? So much of a boat needs to be under the water. So much of the boat needs to be above the water in order for it to have stability. The part that goes underneath the boat, if you will, is the part that understands that there is a depravity to us. There is a brokenness to us. Scripture is really clear that because of the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve, and we know we live in a world that it is imperfect, it is fractured, it is broken. And so we live in this fractured, broken world. But then at the same time, Jesus says because of our work with him, thank you, Andy, because of our work, because of the work that Christ has accomplished on the cross, we've been made holy. There's what we call an imputed holiness that is placed upon us. That is though, even though I'm a sinner and I make mistakes, that in, in Christ, my hiddenness in Christ means that God the Father sees me and sees you this morning. You have to let this be something that is deeply rooted in your persona and who your identity is. You're loved by God and you're seen according to God the Father the same way that he looks upon his son that is Jesus Christ. The distinctions are no longer different, right? The Bible actually literally talks about Israel as like a vine, and it tells, tells us that, that we were woven into that vine. The roots are Christ. The, root, the roots are the gospel, and Israel was his people, and, and now we've been grafted into that vine because we're now part of his family because of the work of the cross, There's this emphasis that in order to be part of God's people in the house of God, that we should be holy. He even tells us that that because of the grace of God, we should no longer walk in the former ignorance of our forefathers. Now, for those who who were reading this as Jewish readers, they would have said, they would have easily said and known that what Peter was talking about, the foolish ways of the forefathers, which again is crazy because he's talking about holiness. 
See, the people of Israel thought that the way that they were going to inherit the kingdom of heaven was because they were Abraham's children and because they actually adhered to the law of God. So the Jews at the day at the day would say, and this was part of the Galatians problem, if you read Galatians, hey, I'm saved by the grace of God, but I'm, I'm kept saved by the work of my own hands. And pragmatically, some of us, pragmatically, most of us are living lives carrying this kind of backpack around, and it's heavy, and it's not intended for you to carry. That not, that, that, that not only did God save you by grace, but that you live by grace. His mercies are new every single morning, right? I, I, I think we could even add to it. His mercies are new every single moment because there's a time where you have a thought, and you have to hold that thought captive because it wasn't a good thought, and then you go back to God's grace, and you know that he loves you in spite of the fact that, that you've made so many mistakes, And the reason that we're to rejoice in this regard, that God is holy and that he's made us holy, and the reason that we should even try to live in perfect holiness is because of what he tells us has occurred in verse 18. He uses a really fancy word that we don't use all of the time. I think most of us understand its basic language, but he says says to us in verse 18, he says, for you have been ransomed. The word ransom is a big deal. The word ransom in its original language literally means a payment a payment that has been made to release someone from some kind of bondage. The bondage may be that of a prisoner. It may be that of a slave. It may be that of a slave of war. It may be because of debt. But when he says that you have been ransomed, what he's literally saying is that Jesus Christ, God himself, understands something that is true about humanity. Number one, you need ransoming. What does this mean? It means that that every single one of us outside of Christ, those who are outside of these four walls, this is one of the reasons why the world hates us because we say things like this. They are living in futile ways that will end in fruitlessness and they're actually slaves to their own desires and their own inclinations. The mantra of the world without them even saying it is, I am my own God. I do what I want, when I want, how I want. I sleep with who I want. I can change my gender if I want to change my gender. I can read what books I want to read. I can dance to what I want to dance to. Uh, anything and everything goes as long as it's not hurting anybody. That, that, just so you know, is Satan's way of saying you can be your own God. It's no different than when, when Satan told Adam and Eve, did God really say? <laughs> did God really say that the best way to live is between a husband and a wife and, and kids and to be part of a church and part of a community? Did God really say that these things are true? See, Satan's ploy is to continually to get you to doubt the very word of God. These are former ways of ignorance, whether it's adhering to rules in heaven to get to heaven or, or, or avoiding doing bad things to get to heaven. It's fruitlessness. The only reason that you have any ability to act in a way that is holy and act in a way that is worshipful is because Jesus Christ paid the price to take you out of your bondage and your sin. And that price wasn't gold, it wasn't money, it wasn't MasterCard or Visa, it was his perfect blood. He purchased you with something far greater than monetary value. He purchased you with himself, his being, his essence. Right? He's, he's ransomed us, which means if you read, first of all, you have to see that Jesus Christ's ransom of sinners is purposeful. It was intentional. What we have to see in, in regards to this ransom is that Jesus Christ chose to die. He was a willing participant in his own execution. Have you ever thought about that? You know, one of the things that I've learned in this last season, in prayer at least, is, is like you just have to be honest with God in prayer. You know, prayer, prayer isn't to be, and this is why so many of our prayer lives are so weak. Prayer isn't just, 
Lord, um, okay, Wait, isn't it some of our prayer lives just right there? <laughs> like sometimes prayer is, is just being honest with God and saying, God, I don't want it to be this way. God, I don't like this. God, you know what? I want to I wanna punch that dude right in the face, Lord, I really do. Did you know you can say that to Jesus? You know how I know that? Look at the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's sitting there before the Father, and he literally tells the Father, hey, can we do it another way? He tells the Father, I don't want to do this. I don't want to die, but I will. If it's the only way to bring people into right relationship with you, I'm willing to go do it. And if you, you go back into the Psalms and, and you read into the Psalms, what are the Psalms like? Do you know there's a place in there? Caleb was around me this week. There's a place in the Psalms where literally the psalmist is like, I want my enemies to chew rocks. And it's holy scripture. Now you're not to read that and go, yeah, dude, that's how we pray. That's how we pray for our enemies in this next election, right? <laughs> Lord, I could use a few politicians to eat some rocks. Right, that's bad theology, right? I, I, Mark Comer's got a great little bit on this, if you know who he is, another great theologian. But what we're seeing and the reason it's an infallible scripture is because, because you need to be honest with your God about your pain, about your hurt, about your anger, because the Lord can handle it and it's only until you get really real with the Lord and you're really honest with God. I don't like my marriage right now. Uh, my kid, I do want to smack him across the head every now and then. Like, you just, you got to be honest with the Lord. Don't hide it. You go, well, that's not a Christian thing to say. Whoever told you that? Of course that's not a Christian thing to say. Do you think you've ever actually said anything Christian anyway? Like, <laughs> but with his sinless blood, his intentional sinless blood, he has pulled us out of our bondage because that is what we need more than anything else. We need to be freed. Freed from a lifestyle of selfishness, freed from a lifestyle that is to live for my own self, free for, from, from bad attitudes. And, and man, and how do I get that? From the sperma of God. Right? The language in here that's used when, when, he, when he tells us this, the, the, the original language that's used about the nature of God is, is the word that we get our word from sperm, sperma. That's what he says, the sperma of God. You've not been born with perishable sperma, but with unperishable. You have been born again by the seed of God. And that word sperma means the nature of God, the being of God, right? If you say, okay, I want to be more compassionate, it's in Jesus's identity. It's in his nature to be compassionate. It's in his nature to be loving. It's in his nature to be gracious and forgiving. That's who he is. And so when he puts his nature in you, you now are finally free. You have a new being within you. You, you are, and this is when, right? You remember the disciples when they come to Jesus and Jesus is like, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, right? I don't know if you're here this morning and you want to see the kingdom of heaven. That is all the beautiful pieces of God's world. Jesus, the disciples come, what is it? How do, how do I see the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, you must be born again. <clears throat> do you remember the disciples' response? Scientifically, that seems impossible. Jesus, I don't know if you've read the science on this. How in the world is one ever to climb back up into their mother and be born again? That's the text. What's Jesus' response? With man, such things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Right? Being born again is a work of God. It's a ransom of God. Jesus Christ is the one who places within you his nature. 
And all you did was respond in faith. There's nothing that you brought. That's why in verse 21, as well as in, in, in the first verse I read in, in this section in chapter 1 of verse 13, he literally tells us that our faith and our hope are in who? God. Now, because of this ransom, he then goes on and says, you've been ransomed, and since you've been ransomed, you need to live a particular kind of life. Now, that ransom means that Jesus Christ has come to serve you, to love you, to make you new. And now that he's made you new, what is the Christian response? You see, so first of all, let's, let's dive a little bit more into this idea of ransom. It means, this idea of God ransoming you means that he ultimately loved you enough to give you his entire being, entire life to purchase you from your slavery. That's a big deal. God is saying to you, you're a big deal. Now hear what I say and hear what I say very carefully because I don't want to say unintentionally something I don't want to say, which is the center of the universe isn't you. You know that, right? The sun does not revolve around, around you. It revolves around me. I'm just kidding. It doesn't revolve around me. It revolves around God, yet... When Jesus ransomed you, he came saying, essentially, I'm going to make you the center of my universe. Do you remember what Jesus says? He says, the Son of Man came not to what? I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Now, you'll hear from the pulpit. You'll hear it from me. You'll probably even hear it in this message. You should serve. You should serve the Lord. Because that's the nature of God to serve. But you can't serve the Lord until you first have humbly allowed Jesus to serve you. How many of you this morning are such friends with Jesus that you've given Jesus complete permission to serve you in every aspect of your life? When he says, my yoke is light, it's not heavy, that's what he means. He, he literally means, I want to do life with you. Stop carrying the results. Stop carrying the burden. Stop carrying trying to make your kids perfect. Do you know that you as a parent will never be able to shape or form your child into your own image? How many of you have tried successfully and done it? Anybody? No, 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 no. My mom had it easy with me, right, Ma? I was so easy to raise. Super easy. That's why I'm a pastor. And now he says, okay, because, because of this new nature, right, this new nature, and Christ has served you, and if you let him serve you, he'll change you. He'll make you holy. And he says, now, now that you've allowed Christ to serve you, if you will, the way that I'm kind of piecing this together for us this morning here, I think, I think now the question is, now that he's ransomed me, what should be my holiest response in response to the fact that he's ransomed me? If you know the freedom that God has given you, what should you do? And I think that Paul tells us, as people of God, Paul, I'm sorry, bad habit again, Peter. Peter tells us in this particular passage exactly what it is that this holiness should lead us to. Go to verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Now, let's be clear. Your soul is not purified by obedience to the truth. You have to go back in the text and as well as the context of all of Scripture to say, what does he mean by being purified by obedience to the truth? That obedience to the truth is an obedience of faith in the grace of God. That's why he says what he says. Go back, make sure you see it, because I want you to see it with your own eyes in verse 13. Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope where? 
Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's a revelation of grace you receive now. There's a greater revelation in which you'll receive in heaven itself. There's all, things we, all kinds of things we could say about that. But what I want you to see here now is he says, okay, now that you've done this, Verse 22, having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth, he's saying your soul is is purified by being obedient to believing in the grace of God. It's not obedience that gets you saved. It's obedience in the grace of God that gets you saved, right? Do you you see what I'm saying? If not, you can set up an appointment. To the truth for, and he tells us now, for what? I want you to see this in here. Because he tells us inside of the text, what the holiest calling is. What is it? A sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, I think, I think studying the Bible is made way more complicated than it needs to be. Uh, and, and one of the great beautiful tensions you have here is you've got somebody like Brad Beers who preaches, and when he preaches, he's gonna give you some Greek possibly, he's gonna talk about the original language. Kudos for him on that. But let me give you something. Most of us are not gonna learn Greek. And most of us aren't going to learn Hebrew. So a good way just to ask yourself, well, how do I know what he actually wants me to see in the text? Just look for repetitive words. And, and I've, already, I've just done this in simplicity the last two weeks. The number one repetitive word that's in here, holiness. We talked about holiness. The other one, love. Everyone say love. Okay, isn't studying the Bible hard? It isn't. Just look for the repetitive words. And he tells us, he says, this is what it means to live according to the gospel of grace. You're going to have love for each other. You're going to pour your heart out. Essentially what he's saying is he's saying, Jesus Christ has ransomed you. He's poured his heart out to you. He's given you his very being. He's given you his essence, himself, his being. And I say it the way that I say it because I do not want to be a Bible teacher that goes, In this verse, God tells us he gave us himself. No, he gave you himself. Y'all, this is good news. This is emotional. This is something you can feel. This is something you can touch. This is something that's tangible. God gives you his essence. He's poured his heart out to you. Nothing held back. And now what happens in the church, he's now saying, okay, I've poured my heart out to you. I've ransomed you, and I've ransomed you so that you'll be a people of love. That's what he's ransomed us for. That's what it is to be a people of his house, is to be people that are marked by love. We have been ransomed and purchased with his blood, so now we can freely pour our heart out to other people. Now, isn't that easy? Is it easy to love your neighbor? How about when they blow all that snow into your driveway? I saw a video of a guy. He just cleaned his driveway. Dude, he got that thing clear. And the little camera, door camera was recording him, right? He got done, and you see him. He grabs his shovel, and he stands back. He holds his shovel like this. You can see just his back, and he's looking at his driveway like some of you have done the last couple days. And he says to himself, you can tell, he's like, I did it. And then the video captures the plow going by. And he just does this. Come on, guys, you know that knee shake. That's the shake you do right before you're deciding whether you will act with violence or not. That's what that knee shake is, to be violent or not to be violent. And he throws the shovel down and he walks inside. He quit for the day. Right? Like, like, there's, when somebody wrongs us, 
we respond in three ways naturally. Well, two ways, really. Someone wrongs us. One thing that we may be tempted to do is to go after them, hate them, talk bad about them, maybe even make vengeance your own, even though we know Scripture says that vengeance is mine. That's not a correct way to respond when someone hurts you. Another way, which is more common in our culture, I think, now, we don't, have to, we don't actually run after them. We don't have vengeance. We just we don't go after them. We keep it inside. We stew on it. We get angry, and we just don't say anything at all. Anybody guilty of either one of those? Or we can be like the gospel. They hurt us, and so we go to them, and we love them anyway. That's the gospel. And specifically, the language that he gives us, three aspects, and we'll close just in some application here. How does this love play out? Three descriptions he gives us. Our love should be sincere. Our love should be earnest. And it should be from a pure heart. Now, ultimately, I think you could look at the text a right way and a wrong way. A, a wrong way would be to read it and say, well, it's, it's up to me to make sure because of what God has done in his ransom. It's up to me that my love will be sincere. It's up to me that my love will be deep. And it's up to me that my love will be pure hearted. But I think it's better before you even go there to just see that this ultimately is a description of the love that Jesus gives you. He's sincere in his love. He's earnest in his love. And he loves with a pure heart. What does all that mean? Let me talk about him briefly. Remember I told you the name of the message this morning could be without wax. What is it to have a sincere love? A sincere love is a brotherly love. It's a genuine love. It's, it's love without hypocrisy. It's love with no pretense. You're not acting. You're not faking. It's really, really sincere. The reason I said that this message could be called without wax is because within this particular definition of a sincere kind of love, I came across something that was really uh, something that occurred in the ancient world. In the ancient world, uh, there, there was those who crafted and made clay jars. You know you and I are called clay jars. We're made like clay. He has fashioned us with his hands, and, and we're clay in his hands. He molds us, and he shapes us as he sees fit. Well, in the ancient world, there would be merchants who would sell these jar clays, uh, clay jars. And these clay jars, there were two different kind of merchants. One particular kind of merchant, you could get your clay jars at a discounted price. And another merchant would have above their, uh, above their booth, uh, there would be a sign. And that sign would say, Sine and Sarah. Now, don't quote me that I'm uh, saying that correctly. But I've learned if I say it fast enough and with confidence, you'll believe that's the correct pronunciation. But either way, essentially what would occur is that those who made cheaper clay pots, what would happen when they were shaping those clay pots is there would be imperfection and defects. There'd be cracks within the clay. And one of the practices of the merchants in order to get the most money possible for their clay pots is they would use wax, a kind of wax material, and they would place them within the cracks. And then they would sell them as, as if they were good, perfect jars, but they were with wax. Other merchants would place a sign above their booth that literally said, without wax. And they could charge a little bit more because their, their clay pots didn't have imperfections and they didn't use wax to cover them up. What I think Jesus is saying, in part with understanding this historically, I think what Jesus is saying is the kind of love that we have is the kind of love without pretense. You don't actually hide your cracks. 
See, part of, the, part of what makes Christianity work is that we are jars of clay made in the image of God, but every single one of our jars have been cracked or broken with our own sin or someone else's sin in our lives, might be the forefathers the text talks about. But every single one of us comes into church with a brokenness. And what Jesus is saying is love each other regardless of the imperfection. Be real, be genuine. Don't put wax in your cracks. It's okay to let them show right? So, so God is saying there's a sincere kind of love that we're to have that is a genuine kind of love that isn't filtered through some kind of fake pretense. It's okay to be you because that's who he made you to be. And he will mold you and shape you into his image as he sees fit. And as you dive into the grace of God and the one who ransomed you, and as you see that his love for you is sincere, that it was the cracks within his flesh and the holes within his hands and feet that brought you near, you'll see that his death is the thing that ultimately will bring people to himself. And it's okay for people to see that you're not God and you're not perfect without wax. But he also tells us to love earnestly. This is a deep love passionate kind of love, right? I mean, are you a person that just, you know, it's a joyful kind of love. It's an earnest kind of love, right? Are you, are you the kind of folks that are just like, man, I, you can't, I mean, I know when I preach, you can't help but see it or, or experience it sometimes. They just get all like, because man, I, I'm, I'm really zealous about the gospel and I know what God gives his people. I have tasted that the Lord is good and because he's so tasty, <laughs> even more than that bacon at the men's breakfast. I want you to taste that he is good as well. Right? The church is to be this place of love, of, of earnest and deep love and, and sincere love. And then also he says from a pure heart, a pure heart is a quality of love without deceit. It's, it's a way of basically saying love without worrying about results. Just love people to love people. I'll close with one last illustration and we'll worship. I came across, and it's so funny to me, and it's one of my frustrations with Christianity. Christianity which is the, the, the supposed to be the buttress of grace, the, the, the army of grace, the people of grace, the, the people of love and acceptance. I can, oftentimes I can tell you that it's the people in the church who do the most harm in the opposite direction. I came across a story from Philip Yancey. Wayne loves Philip Yancey. And, and, and Philip Yancey tells a story of a, a guy who posted this online the other day, actually on my story. And it's funny, man, because some of you wrote back and were like, not you, somebody else, actually. I, don't, I just don't agree. It's a simple story. Philip Yancey tells a story of an alcoholic. He came to church on a Sunday, and he was late because Tahoe time. Anybody else on Tahoe time? Okay. No one wants to admit it. And some of the people in the church, when he came in, they looked back at him. And he felt judged. He could tell that they were a little upset that he was late. And he said what he received in that moment, the message he received in that moment when people were judging him as he came in late was, he obviously is not as responsible as those who came here on time. And then by contrast, this same gentleman shared his story about when he's late to AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. He says, when I'm late to AA, everyone stands up and hugs me. They don't ask me why I was late because they know the truth as fellow people of struggle. They know that the only reason that I made it that day is because of my love and my need for them won over the desire for my need to be an alcoholic. 
to use people in the church, respond to people in that same kind of love? Man, I'm just thankful you're here. I don't know what it took for you to get here this morning. I don't know what it's taken for you to get to the place you're at today. I bet it was hard. I'm thankful you're here. And you know who else is really glad you're here? Jesus. And he don't give a darn if you were 10 or 15 minutes late. And if I'm really honest, I don't either. But would you be on time? (laughs) (laughs) You understand the heart of the matter. God has ransomed you not to be more religious, not to be more theologically astute and correct, not to be more doctrinally demanding, but to elevate the boundless, borderless love of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And he will handle everything else because that's how good and gracious he is. He was in charge of your sanctification and your salvation, both Do not be fooled to think that you somehow control any of it. You're just a child of God. Enjoy sitting in your Father's lap. Amen? Stand with me. Let's pray. (sighs) Lord, we as Christians have nothing left to hide anymore. We don't need wax. We have the blood of the Lamb. Lord, we know we don't need to wax ourselves to impress others. No, Lord. We really want others to be impressed with you. We want you, Jesus, to be made famous. And Lord, as you were lifted on high, it is through your glorious genuineness that we see that our sins are covered in such a way that we never, ever have to fake our way through life ever again but our weaknesses really serve to show how gloriously powerful you are. And even now, our insincere wax, the ways we try to cover ourselves up, if we're honest, could never simply cover up your glory. So would you shine through our imperfection and use us in our weakness that you would be glorified and we would show the world that we are the house of God. We are your people. We trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's always good to sing with you.